0: Today's episode of the Venture Forth podcast is sponsored by Guardium Token. Guardium is a token for a new global public safety utility, providing an economic framework for distributed emergency response to the 4 billion unbanked people worldwide with no 911. Guardium Token is now in public pre-sale. Get a 25% bonus if you act now. Go to guardium.co and sign up on the mailing list to get more info. That's guardium.co for global decentralized emergency response. Hello and welcome to the Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahabudivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. Hello, VentureForth listeners. As we continue the crypto theme this week, we explore the venture side of the business with a partner of the world's most successful venture fund by a lot, Paul Muratatakit from Pantera Capital. At Pantera, he's a self-described Swiss army knife, having a hand in a number of activities that have included closing over 30 venture investments, 20 token pre-sale investments, growing Pantera's brand, and building relationships with incubators, startups, and institutions to discover unexpected and valuable opportunities for everyone involved. Considering how fast the crypto industry moves, I can only imagine how much faster things move compared to the traditional venture capital that I'm used to. He's also the only other Thai guy that I've ever met who works in venture, and I can count on one hand the number I've met in the Bay Area tech industry.
1: Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Joe. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Before we dive into crypto, I'd love to start by getting to know you and and your background.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I, yeah, my background is
0: pretty diverse. I, I would say that,
1: you know, I don't have your typical, you know, founding team background, or, you know, I don't have. You know, I guess for a later stage, I don't have an investment banking background. But you know, the way that I got into to ventures, I you know, just starting off. Me, I grew up in Los Angeles. You know, I, I went to UC Berkeley, and you know, really enjoyed my time there. You know, got me access to basically being in the Bay Area. And then you know, right after that, I was was thinking about going to law school. So I worked in a law firm for a year and a half, learning about the business and. You know, doing whatever I could to help out the real estate law team at Pillsbury Winthrop in one of the largest law firms out there. But I realized that I didn't want to. I didn't want to be a lawyer, and I didn't want to go through law school and and come out regretting it. So I wanted to get back into into business. You know, I, I graduated with a psychology and political science degree, so it was one of those things where I knew that I would have to figure out a way to to, to get back in, and that and that would be just kind of starting from the bottom. So I worked at a litigation economic consulting group, basically economic consulting, working on a bunch of uh, litigation cases for Fortune 500 companies, doing a lot of analysis. And then, you know, that really got me working in, in teams. Uh, but, you know, I started getting sort of bored at the, at the position. You know, I wanted to do something more fast-paced, more innovative. And then I started doing some business development and growth for some early stage startups on the side, wanting to gain some experience. And then, you know, right after that, I saw a position on, on LinkedIn for an analyst role at Key Capital, which is, you know, we been at Strive Capital, where I could be an analyst looking at uh, mobile apps to invest into. And I thought that was a, a great gig because I would be able to be early in a really disruptive. Uh, space, you know, I really felt like mobile, mobile first was going to be uh, tremendous, and you know, I was right about that. It was tremendous. It was, it was a great experience. And then, you know, from there, I was able to work my way up to an associate role, and then you know, 2013 hit, and I started hearing about crypto from some of my friends at Lightspeed, and I, I started diving into it thinking that I was going to actually start off on the operational side and then talk to companies like Coinbase. But, you know, the opportunity presented itself at Pantera. You know, I thought it was a great fit. You know, I had the venture experience, wanted to dive deep into this space, you know, really liked the team, the track record, and the brand, and really thought that I could, you know, have a great fit and excel yeah, at this firm. And, and and so far, you know, doing, you know, venture capital here and also doing ICOs here, it's been it's been great, especially... You know, with the way the space has been moving.
0: So, you've been sort of on the both sides of like traditional VC and VC in crypto. So, what is your thoughts on the disruption of traditional VC and VC's role in startups now that founders can raise directly from individuals through an ICO?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we started off in in, in a world where it was completely disrupted uh, and it was disruptive in terms of you know now entrepreneurs are are able to kind of create a new cap table and to raise from an audience that is global. And this audience can participate in, in, in sort of any amount that they, they wish to. And it gives entrepreneurs a way to, on top of that, accelerate a network effect. So there are many benefits to, to fundraising uh, using that strategy. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward in terms of you know regulations and everything, but you know that's completely disruptive. You know, I, I think things are going to get a little bit more balanced. I mean, we're now seeing a decent amount of VCs able to invest into tokens and crypto. So, you know, I think I think the disadvantages of raising capital this way is you don't get the the, the traditional governance and traditional value add that you get from VCs that. Are uh, structured to provide the funding and to be able to have enough skin in the game to re- really want to help and provide governance to these companies. But you know, I think we're going to be shifting more towards the middle where VCs are getting in the game. Term sheets are going to be structured a little bit closer to what we're normally seeing in traditional venture capital, and we're going to start seeing sort of multiple rounds of funding, different different valuations. But nevertheless, I mean. What this looks like in the future is that VCs are going to have to adapt, get in the game. Uh, There's going to be a lot more protection for VCs and things are going to have a lot more sort of governance around deals. But, you know, you're still going to be able to get your product and get its, its value out to the public. And I think that's extremely powerful, especially for anything that is consumer related or marketplace
0: related so i'd like to kind of dig into you know pantera just because uh, pantera has sort of been in the news uh, recently and, and it's super super interesting um it's been hyper successful uh before we dig into that though uh what is pantera's sort of investment thesis and what are you looking for
1: you know we have four different strategies but you know two that we're really focused on is uh are basically venture capital so we are investing into equity into blockchain crypto related companies So far, the the overarching theme for Pantera is what what makes blockchain so disruptive? Well, blockchains enable peer-to-peer transactions and and transfers of any sort of digital asset without intermediaries. So for the longest time, whether they are banks, whether they are monopolies or companies, there are entities in the middle that are taking fees, uh, unnecessary fees on top of Uh, These transactions that don't necessarily need to be taken. And what the blockchain allows is the circumvention of those intermediaries uh, and those regulations and to be able to do things between parties in a directly peer-to-peer way, which saves both parties a lot of costs. And that's the overarching theme for Pantera now. We do that in two ways. We can invest into equity, into companies, or we can invest into tokens. Uh, you know, Tokens can be pre-sales, which I think we've gotten a, a lot of attention for because of the, the help that we can bring to those projects at the earliest stage. But we can also invest into tokens that are already out on exchanges in the secondary market through our quant fund. And so, yeah, that's what we're looking for right now. You know, We have funded a lot of quote-unquote infrastructure companies. So companies that are helping to facilitate the earliest use cases and the adoption of cryptocurrencies. And, you know, we've also funded some applications. But down the line, I think, uh, you know, we're going to start getting higher and higher up in in the stack in terms of the types of companies that we're
0: funding. Uh, you mentioned that you are uh, Pantera is investing in a lot of sort of tokens and also pre-sales and that sort of thing. What lockups are you seeing in the market right now? And does Pantera traditionally sell sort of as soon as it's able in peak market conditions? Like what what sort of terms are you looking for on those? Yeah, you know, just like how term sheets are going to evolve, lockups
1: uh, are, are part of that too. And entre- investors are going to get better in terms of how they evaluate companies. Entrepreneurs are going to get better in terms of how they structure their sales and. You know one of the risks of doing a, a crowd sale is that you if you don't structure it correctly you could have the price of your token drop quite a bit especially if you know people are are selling right away for for one reason or another so a lockup is a way to you know keep investors with you and and sort of give entrepreneurs uh, a chance to start building product and and showing evidence of success before uh, liquidity hits the market, and you know we started off with seeing no lockups. Now we're seeing a balance there, where you know there's a combination of no lockup to some lockups to even even longer lockups. So I think it really depends on the specific type of project and the specific type of use case. But you know lockups can range anywhere from
0: zero to to four years. Interesting. Yeah, I re- recently read an article in the New York Times about Pantera's. Inc- really just incredible success over the last couple of years, and specifically quoting a return of over 25,000%. And, and that's also when Bitcoin was, I guess, less valued. Because of the ever-changing price of tokens, how does the firm make decisions about when to cash out and return money to LPs? And how involved are LPs in those decisions considering the speed at which the industry is moving?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I think that was a question that you touched upon a little bit earlier, too, where, you know, Pantera, we are Long-term investors, even though we're structured as a hedge fund, we are looking to uh, with a, we are looking to these deals with a, a venture sort of mindset, knowing that the greatest returns are going to come from uh, those companies that are building tremendous value over the long term and become building blocks for the entire ecosystem or for their entire use case. And so, you know, we are not there to get in and get out right after the the ICO now. You know, of course, when there are times where, you know, we are overweighted in a certain portfolio, then we have to sort of do traditional portfolio management and portfolio diversification allocation. And, you know, that that is done within our team. You know, we also have done a lot of analysis of, you know, protocols in the past, past performances, uh, looked at similar companies you know, looked at valuations and and have modeled a a bunch of, of things out regarding where each of these companies should be, you know, valued over time. But nevertheless, I mean, a lot of it is really coming from knowing what our projects are doing, you know, and that comes from just, you know, being really deep with them and helping them out, you know, the more that we help them out, you know, the more that we know how each of them are doing. And from there, we can assess how we should sort of balance our our risk in each of these these companies, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to go to our LPs, because we're a lot deeper with the ecosystem and these companies than they are. So they're trusting us to be stewards of their capital.
0: Definitely. Uh, so like, of course, one of our roles is to help portfolio companies be as successful as possible and help them grow uh, and make the fund as, as valuable as possible for LPs. But how much of Pantera's success would you attribute to, I guess, the luck and the rapid, super rapid increase of the value of the holdings and the tokens? And how much to sort of that analysis and to the help and the skill and that sort of thing?
1: I I would say that we are, we have been very instrumental to the value creation of our companies, you know, we obviously get into each of these companies at at different stages in their life cycle. But, you know, everything from starting off and helping entrepreneurs brainstorm around how to properly convey and write their white paper to, you know, what is the best token economics for their product to how to best structure their token sale so that they get the right strategic investors involved, which helps with fundraising, which helps with partnerships, which helps with marketing, and then, you know, helping to build the community, do a successful crowd sale. And then afterwards, I mean, you know, as we are building a very large portfolio of diversified investments, there there is a lot of cross-collaboration and partnerships that can be done around there. And then, of course, you know, with, with sort of the... The reach that we have, you know, in terms of knowing some of the top talent in the industry, you know, having spoken at the right conferences and having the right connections at universities, you know, we can really help these companies hire and really build their companies and, and skill to the right level. So, I, I would say it's a it's a great combination of the entrepreneurs executing and and, and finding those right ones. But, you know, we feel that we we can provide a lot of value to kind of get them to their goals uh, at a much quicker pace.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've been following this thing for a little bit now. And in 2017, the FOMO was, <laughs> and the fervor was uh, was huge. Um, you know, and it even seems now in like 2018, there's a conference and, and events around blockchain every week, every day even. How do you see ICOs differing in 2018 compared to 2017?
1: I think we're going to see... You know, an evolution of term sheets and 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 SAFs. I think it's going to get, uh, I think it's going to get much closer to traditional VCs, and I think that's that that is going to actually bring in more VCs into the game. Uh, I think we're also going to see you know multiple rounds of of fundraising, which I think is healthy for the ecosystem. Not having to raise all at once and and overraise. I think that's going to be a nice shift, also, and you know, I think we're we're going to see more and more mainstream investors wanting to participate, and uh, that'll open up room for more innovative products. You know, that can you know help facilitate that interest. You know, that could be you know interesting portals to find, discover, analyze ICOs uh, to participate to syndicate. Uh, maybe even, you know, going as far as, you know, what the Chinese are doing and having mobile apps where you can just, you know, you can, with a few clicks of a button, you can participate in an ICO right from your, right from your mobile phone through a mobile app. I mean, I think that part is going to, to change quite a bit too in terms of making it easier to discover, find, analyze, and participate in, in ICOs and, and manage your, your portfolio. So I think this is going to shift more, towards being more institutional friendly and also being more consumer friendly. And I think that's, uh, that's gonna be great for the ecosystem.
0: Have you noticed the FOMO kind of growing or shrinking, uh, FOMO being a fear of missing out for the audience?
1: This is, this is going to levels that I didn't even think it would get to by this time of, of the cycle. I mean, I was, I was in Los Angeles and my mom you know, <laughs> was, was, was in the car with me and she asked me, "Hey." You know, I, are you putting money into stocks? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, the, the 401k, the usual. And she said, well, you know, my friends are telling me about this new type of stock. It's like similar to fake money. Do you know anything about <laughs> it? And I was like, mom, because I know that she's she's super conservative. I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and she's like, just kind of joking, just jokingly saying that. And then she said, well, someone mentioned that you might know something about it. But yeah, I know a lot of people are making money off of it. And, and is this something that I should be looking at? And I was like, okay, now, now we know that this is getting crazy. When my, when my old mom is, is asking me about, about crypto, Like this is, this is getting to, to new heights for me, that's for sure.
0: And that sounds a lot like my uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas as well. Uh, some of the guests were bringing crypto as like white elephant gifts. So that was a pretty interesting experience.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 what we all predicted. I mean, we predicted that it it would be fun turkey, turkey dinner conversations, <laughs> lots of crypto gifts are gonna be thrown around. And
0: I I actually think twenty eighteen, I think I think we're gonna hit even newer levels. So how is, uh, I, I guess the ecosystem being affected by, or, or maybe it hasn't quite happened yet or there's too much FOMO around it, but by, by scam projects. Uh, for instance, I, I went to, um, the blockchain expo and I was kind of looking around and, and, uh, different projects and reading people's, um, Uh, Posters and that sort of thing. And one, many of them stuck out. Uh, One specifically said that they were the world's first decentralized blockchain-based community-driven marketplace ecosystem. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea what that means, but um, apparently, like their ICO is super successful. It's just a bunch of buzzwords. So, what what do you think? What do you say to people who believe that ICOs are a scam? You know, we we see a bunch of ICOs from
1: all across the board and a lot of them are scams and a lot of them are ones that are doing it for the wrong reasons or, or not even having any use of a token or a blockchain. And yeah, I mean there there are a lot of there are a lot of scams out there. You know, our you know I, I would I would encourage people to do a lot of, of research and be wary of you know, that's actually one of the things that we look at as a potential concern or red flag when we go through projects, websites, and white papers is exaggerations, right? We're the first, we're the best. You know, things that are so gimmicky, it, it just doesn't, if you're if you're a good solid project, you don't have to use those words. You just demonstrate itself. So that's actually one of the sort of red flags that, that we have as we're looking through projects. And And for retail investors, I mean, You know, you got to you got to dig deeper than that. You got to, you know, either do your research or 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 talk to the right people in in certain spaces or that you really respect and and kind of uh, dig under the hood to see if some of these are scams or, you know, again, because there's so there's such a big gap between those who are familiar with certain entrepreneurs doing certain projects or know about certain technologies that it makes sense to, at this time, possibly invest into some sort of syndicate or some sort of fund if you want to get more than just exposure to the top three cryptocurrencies, because you know, those people have the best chance of being able to make money. But I think the biggest thing in this space is to be able to not lose a lot of money when things go south.
0: Right. And we're starting to see some of the kind of novelty tokens like DOG, for instance, which I think recently crossed the $1 billion market cap, uh, you know, starting to gain a lot of traction. So it's really interesting to see, I, I mean, do those in, those types of tokens inevitably crash?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I think a lot of the tokens that again people just don't use or, you know, aren't engaging with the community or, you know, aren't focusing on building product and going out there and and actually having real usage. I mean, these are all going to these are all going to crash and there's going to be, you know, more consolidation into the the ones that are actually, you know, executing and and this happens when the market's not so frothy. I mean, right now, you know, everything's up, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when, when it's not this environment, then that's when you'll see a lot of those just really crash.
0: So which projects and coins are you most excited about right now? And those can be ones that you've seen that uh, Pantera may or may not have gotten involved with.
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's so many great projects out there. I don't want to single any of them out. But I would say that, you know, certain themes, I I think, are extremely valuable for this ecosystem. You know, we started to see a huge community develop in China. And then with the Chinese ban, it backed off. And then, you know, Q4 of last year, we really saw the US take the lead in terms of ICOs and interesting projects because of, you know, regulations not being uh, so, so hampering. And, And the fact that, a lot of VCs are pushing their portfolio companies to do ICOs and then you know Silicon Valley especially really really got you know interested in using this as a as a fundraising model. But I think going forward, I mean, now that the Chinese have figured out how to do ICOs and, and how to structure them, you know, while still being based in China and then, you know, the exchanges getting back into the game, I think we're gonna see a lot of interesting regional players building really good infrastructure to help support new decentralized applications. So I would think Quantum and Neo should be pretty interesting to watch this year in China to Icon in Korea to obviously Ethereum and and some emerging new blockchains that are using different ways of mining and and doing uh, consensus and being able to enable more transactions per second. Uh, things that are implementing better features of Bitcoin and Ethereum that are going to start gaining some ground. So I think, again, like each geography is going to be focused on implementing different parts of that infrastructure. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see those companies in each of those geographies, see if they can build a community and, you know, new sets of decentralized applications that come out of it. And, you know, some of the other, outside of just new blockchains, I think other other sort of infrastructure companies that, that are going to be needed are going to be things like decentralized exchanges, decentralized stability coins to other things in terms of uh, scalability layers for blockchains. And then you know, even moving up higher in the stack, you know, we're going to start seeing companies targeting some of the largest rent-seeking companies out there, such as YouTube, Airbnb, Uber. Craigslist, you know all these different uh, marketplaces, and we're even going to see new types of data marketplaces that aren't even being tackled right now because there isn't a way to, uh, there isn't you know infrastructure right now to be able to support uh, and incentivize people to contribute data and to have that data be encrypted in a way and verified in a way that you know hasn't been able to happen until there's now an incentive layer like tokens and uh, blockchain infrastructure that can actually make that use case happen.
0: What is sort of the most immediate problem then? There's many different things and protocols that people are writing to solve all kinds of problems right now. Is there one that really stands out as being a huge problem in the industry right now?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the number of transactions that you can
0: do, for
1: instance, you know, the use case of ticketing on the blockchain. Well, you know, if you're going to put transactions, and that number of transactions on a blockchain, you know, it's got to be able to scale to that that level where you can support the the level of transactions for any sort of ticket entry uh, for any sort of event. And that is tough right now on on any blockchain. So I think for those sort of use cases, you know, you're going to be able to, you're, you're going to need a way to be able to do it on a blockchain or in some sort of, uh, in some sort of side chain uh, or something uh, and be able to do it you know, very securely, but also maintain the, uh, the sort of benefits of, of a, a blockchain infrastructure. So I think that's probably one of the largest, largest challenges right now is for use cases like that. There isn't anything that's, you know, scalable, that's, that's out in production. Right now that that someone
0: can use so actually on that note you know we're seeing gas prices for ethereum transactions go up we're seeing you know a lot of clogging up in Bitcoin core transactions do you think either of those I guess specifically pertaining to Bitcoin do you think those tokens will be the market leaders by the end of the year?
1: you know I think right now people will say that you know last year there was a lot of attention with the Bitcoin price and you know all the forks and, and all of that and I you know it's, it's definitely warranted. You know, especially with futures, it really started to it really started getting Wall Street and finance professionals, you know, into the space. Uh, I really think that this year is going to be the year of of more decentralized applications. And right now, from what I see, you know, especially after after going to DevCon, there's just a lot of momentum for the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, so I think it's really Ethereum's to, to lose, at least for this year, in terms of really pushing forward uh, with the development of the protocol and the community and fostering that and getting a lot of dApps really out there and, and, and showcasing the platform. I think there'll be other blockchain platforms and other geographies that are going to start gaining some ground, too. But I think it's really Ethereum's to lose because, again, momentum is on their side right now. Right. Are we still in the early days for crypto? We're super early. You know, I think we're we're in the half inning, first inning. I mean, this is this is just getting started. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see this. I mean, myself and Pantera being, you know, I, I personally have been at Pantera for almost four years now. And, you know, I've been in blockchain and crypto when it wasn't so sexy. And it's, it's great to see it, you know, emerging now. But I, I think you can talk about uh, the killer use cases being sort of money movement. And I think that'll... That'll increase more, but definitely one of the killer use cases right now is fundraising. But until we actually see someone say uh, a killer use case is some sort of application, you know, we're just in the we're just in the earliest of stages.
0: I recently uh, interviewed Roger Ver, uh, I guess otherwise known as Bitcoin Jesus, sort of a, a figurehead in the community. And he really believes that people should really have control over how they spend their money and invest their money and and everything as it pertains to that. And really, government shouldn't be involved. What are your thoughts on that issue? And what happens ultimately if a retail investor who isn't a credit investor and this is like sort of a, their livelihood lose everything on a bad deal?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what the SEC is trying to prevent and trying to protect consumers you know i I know that that's happened quite a bit or or decently in other geographies, like maybe China. I heard that the percentage of scams over there is much much higher, and there's there's maybe less diligence that's done on projects. I mean, I think at least at least in the United States because you know we've been at the forefront of consumer in investments or crowdfunding, you know I would think that and and we have we have the SEC around. I would think that, you know, there would be a lot earlier stages of transparency, governance, and self-policing that happens within within our geography and within our industry. Where we're starting to see it now, you know, especially with, you know, if this happened like 20, you know, actually, I mean, I don't think it would happen 20 years ago. But I mean, with, with, with the internet now and with social media, you know, you're starting to see projects get called out uh, for being frauds and people doing ICO reviews and people promoting best practices in terms of how to look at investments in this space. And I think that's going to increase more. And I'm just hopeful that that will balance out with the amount of companies and amount of projects that come out and then the sort of marketing tactics and, and everything else that comes out with doing ICOs that, you know, with that balance out there and a lot of transparency and, and people being bold to, to call out projects and, you know, helping to educate the ecosystem that, there, there will be at least less likelihood of people losing money here than than there are in in, in other geographies with scams, at least. Now, again, like it's tough because you know when you're doing venture investing, a high percentage of companies are going to fail, and that part, you know, it, it, there's nothing you can, there's not as much you can do on that versus just trying to prevent a lot of scams from happening.
0: Right. So, uh, I guess a uh, rule of thumb: don't take out a mortgage to, uh, I guess, in, in, invest in a uh, uh, sketchy ICOs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, only, only, only invest what you are able to lose. That's for sure. Got it. So which coins have you passed on but wish you got into?
1: I think we're pretty fortunate to have gotten into a lot of the projects and a lot of the ICOs and blockchain companies that we wanted to get into. I mean, there's, there's a few out there that you know have been big names uh, recently that have made pretty large returns. Whether they are based in the U.S., based in China, based in different geographies, and you know, it's one of those things where we are going to look at every project with a technical lens. You know, Joey is super technical, and and he's been you know operational within the space. We're gonna we're gonna look at things from an institutional lens and a, a finance lens with Dan, and then for me, we're gonna look at things that make sense on a business and venture and uh, opportunity lens with myself, and you know, with that, it means that you're going to miss out on certain ones that do do well, maybe because the tech isn't there. But nevertheless, you know, they had really strong marketing, and, and they built a great community, and 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 those sort of things. So, you know, so for us, I mean, you, we missed out on some that have been big, but never. But we think that with that right combination of me, Joey, and Dan bringing different perspectives to the table. That we're gonna get into sort of the best, you know, high, you know, risk-adjusted returns off of, you know, ICOs that we think kind of check all the boxes for us.
0: Considering how much the these companies are raising, do you think that, you know, they can raise on you know great idea and great marketing uh, and community, uh, maybe less on the technical acumen side, but then considering if they're gonna raise. 10, 20, 50, I think uh, Telegram just announced or, or speculating that they'll be like having a $500 million round. Do you think like these companies can raise and then figure it out later? They can, you
1: know, they're, in, in terms of investing into companies, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the team and, you know, no team is, no team is perfect. Uh, so if you have confidence in, in, in what they have so far, and what they've built so far, if anything, and, and you know what their limitations are and what they need, but you are confident that based on what you've seen from them, based on what they've done in the past, that they can figure it out. Then sometimes you make that bet, and you know, for us, I mean, we we like to look at white papers, we like to look at code, you know, we like to look at any other evidence, product partnerships, anything that can you know, de-risk our investment and make us confident. But, you know, sometimes sometimes a team bet is, is fine too if it's it's just that right team where, you know, they can they can give you that confidence that they'll be able to check all those boxes later on.
0: How does Pantera go about valuating companies? I mean I think the reason why I ask is because when I interviewed Mike Jones from Science, like we were talking about how let's say um, on the venture side, let's say if you invest in a company at a ten million dollar valuation sure. and they and they uh, have an ICO, their token ecosystem suddenly is worth, let's say, $100 million. And then, uh, you know, after some pop, you know, the ecosystem may be worth $500 million. What is that company now worth, if ever they wanted to become acquired or something like that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it, in terms of, and, and this is all new territory for this ecosystem, especially if you've raised, I mean, if you do a, uh, whether whether you have equity uh, or whether it's just a, a token structure in your in, in your company you know what what happens when there is uh, you know what what is going to drive an acquisition and what is being acquired well obviously if you end up doing a token you are open sourcing your code and infrastructure and uh, you know what you would possibly be acquiring is if there is additional IP that somehow is not tied to the open source that can be sort of warehoused within the equity component of the corporation itself. That could be interesting as if there's an acquisition, then you'd be purchasing the team, that IP and whatever tokens that that portion of that company held. Uh, you know, so that could be something that could be acquired, or if there is an equity component, maybe that's started off in the beginning, or maybe that equity component was created later on, where it provided products and services on top of the underlying protocol, almost like a Red Hat or something like that. Then that could also be having its own revenue model and could be acquired there. So. Uh, now, the big question is how do we value that portion of it with the tokens and everything else? And especially with tokens, you know, the the valuation gets inflated. You know, these are things that are going to be figured out, you know, down the line right now. Uh, we've obviously seen a lot of, you know, some companies that have achieved quite a bit of a market cap through issuing a token. And, you know, once the 1st MA deal falls, then I think we'll see a lot more, you know, structure in terms of how these things may go about.
0: Definitely, do you have any advice for somebody that wants to get into venture and or start a crypto company? Yeah,
1: I think with venture, it's all about understanding the space really well and it's all about uh, experience and it's all about hustling. So if anybody wants to get into venture, I think they should basically dog food the ecosystem, especially in blockchain. I mean, if you're looking to invest. Uh, and be an investor into ICOs you should be personally investing into ICOs and testing it out testing out different products really understanding the space really well getting into different groups to chat about ideas and then providing a lot of value to investors that that you know and and you know if they like working with you that's one great way of getting into venture in terms of an entrepreneur I think it's great to go out and network with as many other entrepreneurs as possible, go out to some of these bigger conferences. Try to understand where the space is going, where the open fields are, and you know, I, I think one thing that we're going to see is we're going to start seeing more studios and more incubators for blockchain and crypto and ICOs. And you know, I think once you have an idea out there, it's it's great to validate it with people that are in that specific role or People within the industry so that they can poke holes into it, you know, let you know if it's something that's needed within the ecosystem and then just just go forward with it. Um, But I think uh, the best way to get started is to to understand the space and to meet people and to bounce ideas off of it and then to go beyond that and start actually creating some materials and getting that validated before going forward and building out a team and and
0: uh, fundraising. Interesting. So, yeah, I guess more consensus is more um, sciences and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think um, we're going to see a lot more of those those type of, of companies, uh, and, all, and and more focused on on crypto. Mm. Um, so that's what I, I see going forward. We're going to need a, a lot more mentorship for companies. We're gonna also we're also going to need to see a lot more dev boot camps and other sort of organizations that can help facilitate. The conversion of, you know, regular software engineers to crypto engineers, because those are, you know, deeply needed as we're, we reach, what, $5 billion raised using tokens, you know, that capital needs talent to be able to, to bring those use cases
0: forward. As they say, uh, a rising tide raises all boats. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that leads us into the quickfire round that allows our listeners to get to learn a little bit more about you personally. So I'd like to start off this round with, uh, what is your favorite book?
1: I, I would say one of my favorite books that I read not too long ago was it was called E Boys. You know, I I was fascinated about, you know, once once I get into an industry that I really like, I want to learn from people that have been in the industry, and I I love hearing about really great stories of the the ups and downs. And you know, E Boys is a is a nice book about. Uh, you know, the guys that benchmark capital, and, you know, really how that firm got started, how they kind of, you know, operate, you know, some of the things that they learned throughout their journey in the early days. And I thought that was it was pretty inspiring as someone that wants to always improve upon, you know, what I do for a living, you know, if I can learn from, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best firms out there, the legendary firms, and hear those stories, I thought that was pretty cool.
0: What do you collect, if anything, and why?
1: You know, I do not think if I really collect anything. I don't think I'm known to be a big collector of anything. I'd say that the the closest thing that I would be to being a collector would be of, of sports apparel or sports items. Just because outside of crypto, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan. So I'm from Los Angeles, I so support. You know the Dodgers, the Rams. You know up here, I like watching you know the the Warriors play. So you know that that helps me in my personal life. That helps me in my my work too because I get to relate to people that are also sports fans. So I, that's probably the closest thing that I that I do in terms of collecting.
0: So a follow up sort of to that. Uh, but what's one thing that you spend too much money on that you don't regret? Crypto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I,
1: I would say that you know some some people say you shouldn't you shouldn't spend too much money in the space because you're already so knee deep uh, in it. But now I say, hey, I, I I'm really passionate about the space. You know, it helps me learn, and and so I also invest quite a bit in in crypto stuff, and, and because of that, you know, I, I don't regret it.
0: What is the best Thai restaurant in San Francisco?
1: I like La Rose. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. one in the Tenderloin and then there's one in Hayes Valley, but it's, you know, I'd say the, some of the newer restaurants look like they're getting a little bit more Americanized, but their menu actually has some authentic Thai stuff. And, you know, every time I go there, you know, it's, it's, it's good quality food. And, and so that's my favorite restaurant. And uh, a lot of my other friends actually uh, also agree that it's probably one of the better Thai restaurants in the city.
0: Nice. Yeah, I've been looking for uh, uh the best and and looking for a new one. It's been c- pretty tricky up until recently, but uh and, and Loud Table is one I would also recommend.
1: Oh nice. I'll definitely
0: check that out. Finally, what do we have to be optimistic about the future? I'm
1: I'm really optimistic that we'll start seeing some products come out and and real usage of, you know, being seen of these products and I think that's really when things are going to to become exciting is when i get to actually you know tell my friends in the mainstream hey you know this is what the concept is this is what they do and you can actually try it out right now there's actually a real consumer product that you can actually you can actually test out and i think that's really exciting and what makes me confident that that's going to happen is you know i talked to some of the most reputable venture capital firms in silicon valley and they mentioned that you know, they have access to a, a wider network of of talent and, you know, companies that they funded, entrepreneurs that they backed, EIRs, et cetera. And they're saying that all of the top minds are all going and focusing on crypto and blockchain right now. And to hear them say that, you know, this is real data coming from their portfolio companies, coming from their talent pool, that gives me a lot of confidence that, you know, we're gonna have the right talent, the right mindshare to be coming up with a lot of the the solutions to a lot of these problems that crypto can really solve.
0: Nice. We have right at the that point in the show where I give you the platform to plug anything that you like.
1: I think you covered probably a lot that you know people would want to hear about, about the ecosystem. <laughs> I, I I'd say that it it's it's a revolutionary time right now it's exciting because anybody has access to participate in this ecosystem, whether it's a user of a product, whether it's investing into any of these innovative technologies. And it's really giving power back to consumers and decreasing power from, you know, all of the existing companies and intermediaries. So, you know, this is a game changing time. And you know, people should do as much research as possible and and, and just buy a little bit of crypto and, and, you know, just kind of gain a little bit of exposure to it. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want to miss out on because this is a once in a generational opportunity.
0: Paul, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Pantera has been an incredible success story and, and I'm excited to watch it continue and although it's still early in the year, I think that 2018 is going to be an exciting one as the blockchain and crypto industry continue to evolve and grow and, and ultimately mature. So it's, again, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Venture Forth podcast today.
1: Awesome! Hey, thank you much. Uh, thank you so much, Joe. Looking forward to uh, you know doing doing some more deals together and uh, you know having having a lot more fun in this space.
0: If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the Venture Forth podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at Venture Forth Pod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to the Venture Forth podcast.